Hello and welcome back. We are so glad you came back. This week we continue our deep dive into the holiest of trilogies with The Empire Strikes Back, the second instalment in the original set of Star Wars movies. This is our episode two, so we are still a little baby newbie podcast. We will drop new episodes every two weeks on a Wednesday, meaning Empire has arrived with you on February 17th and that we will conclude this dive into Star Wars on March 3rd with a discussion about Return of the Jedi. After that, we'll be leaving a galaxy far, far away and moving on to other content. But the Force will be with us, always. Finally, in this episode, we wanted to flag up that we touch on some issues around racism and representation in film. We have a bit of a chat about how white the Star Wars universe has been up until this point and do our best with the knowledge and thoughts that we have to address what needs to be done better. However, if two neurotic white middle-class women clumsily tying themselves in knots trying not to be racist isn't enough for you, and it shouldn't be, we do want to shout out the work of one of our other favourite podcasts, Buffering the Vampire Slayer. If you visit their website at bufferingthevampireslayer.com, you will find some excellent anti-racism reading and resources. And you should just listen to the podcast. It's great. In the meantime, and as our podcast grows, we commit to doing better, being better, recognising and challenging our own complicity in such matters, and calling out oppressive white supremacist bullshit wherever we see it. As Yoda says, do or do not, there is no try. Thank you so much for listening. And now... Let's have what she's podcasting. You're listening to I'll Have What She's Podcasting, a film and pop culture podcast hosted by Louise Oliver and Jackie Farmer, two tired feminist millennials giving you opinions you didn't ask for about the content they love. (laughs) Well, I would like to open really by saying that I had forgotten and then was reminded why this one's my favourite. And okay. why it's everyone's why it's everyone's favorite, because okay. I feel like this is the one where they go, oh right, okay, we're a movie with us with with a story <laughs> to tell. Like, not that not that I knew hope was not a movie, but that was a well known documentary. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no shade on a new hope. It's absolutely <laughs> a movie too, but um, in a different way, in a sort of like, let's figure this out as we go along kind of way. Whereas yeah. this is like, oh yeah, this has got loads of good stuff. It's romantic. It's exciting. It looks great. These characters are finding themselves and there's far more pronounced and interesting relationships happening. Yeah, it's it's obvious again to me now, having rewatched it yet again. I think actually this might be the third time I've watched it in lockdown. <laughs> um, really? Yeah, yeah, because I think, well, this is like, obviously re-watching it for a purpose this but I, I think I did it twice in since we went into lockdown so over the course of the year because we're nearly a year now I mean it's yeah safe enough to round up at this point isn't it um why we had to start a podcast so we have something else to talk about <laughs> exactly <laughs> um so yeah I think I've done it three times now and yeah it's definitely it's obvious why it's everyone's favorite or I'm making I'm making an assumption that it's your favorite. I that I forgive me. Maybe it's not your favorite. I think I can understand why it is objectively the best one. Mm. We'll come in, on to it in the next episode of I'll Have What She's Podcasting. But Return of the Jedi will always hold the most special place in my heart. But it is fantastic, and I really enjoyed the rewatch. 
and it's where it feels like they've realized that they've created a universe Mm -hmm. that people are that they've started that film with a huge army of people who are already completely obsessed with it yeah and they're just gonna take that and run with it for decades (laughs) for the rest of time as long as there is cinema yeah and they'll take it into some great directions and some weird ones (laughs) Mm -hmm. not to jump ahead but it ends really well and it starts Mm -hmm. really well like it's a movie that has a strong start and finish um yeah so what were your over like big thematic takeaways then what was your big thematic takeaway um, mine was all centered around friendship Aww. and because well for two things it's the first film where they see we see them as a close-knit three mm-hmm. or four or six if you're counting Wookiees and or droids um, and it's so the first the first one it's your classic ragtag group of people doing their own thing who end up on the same side mm-hmm. whereas this one like they are the team. Like there's the rebellion and there's Jedi's and there's the Empire, but like really their key, their main loyalty is to each other. And because we get problematic parental stuff <laughs> as well, there's an el- there is it jumps out at me that they have this thing about like you know your your friends or your family that you choose, and I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, it's a big one for me too, and I think it's uh, I love stuff that does that dive into the family you choose concept and it wasn't something as as a kid or even as a young adult I noticed as much as I do now because Mm. the notion of the family you choose is is much more pronounced as as you get older and and as you become as you become older and, and start to understand yourself a little better and the kind of relationships that you have and what you get from them whether positive or negative as you get older mm-hmm. that that clarity around that starts to emerge and yeah. seeing that reflected back in the in the content or the media that you consume is much more satisfying as you get older and I wasn't as as acutely aware of it as present in Empire Strikes Back as I am now so yes it was very nice to see it because there is obviously a, a father-son theme a subtle father-son theme threaded through also oh, so subtle oh, so subtle <laughs> threaded through the franchise and um, I guess I noticed on this watch for the first time just what they were doing with Han and Luke in that respect. Because there actually is a bit of a kind okay. of, in thinking about this theme, I started to notice that maybe Han was a, maybe it's more of a big brother figure, maybe less than a father figure. But there's definitely a sort of, because Luke is fatherless at the moment. Mm-hmm. And they're sort of setting up a kind of, <laughs> or it feels like they're setting up a father figure in Han in the early part of the movie. I don't know how you feel about that, but mm-hmm. yeah, because he's very protective of Luke. Mm-hmm. Ridiculously protective the, of him. Like, I'm going to risk my, my life. Um, I'll see you in hell. <laughs> like, kind of level uh-huh. <laughs> protective of Luke. That is uh, so dramatic. So dramatic. <laughs> I feel like that guy was being quite um, reasonable. Well, maybe. <laughs> yeah, just so you know, it's real cold. Yeah. And um, <laughs> you might die. These well, tauntauns I'll see you are in hell. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. And these tauntauns are fine and all, but they, they don't cope so well with the cold, we've discovered. No, they're Poor old tauntaun. Yeah, they're a little, they're they're warm-blooded and fluffy and they don't really like it so much. I'm assuming they're what warm-blooded. What are they doing there? I don't know. <laughs> Why did they bring them? They can't be native hoth animals. I don't think they are. <laughs> they can't possibly hoth- be. Yeah, unless hoth is hot sometimes. 
Yeah, maybe. No, I'm getting the vibe that tauntauns are not indigenous to Hoth because like that tauntaun didn't last long at all. And they're clearly easy to take down. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> he does have this kind of yeah rude moment with with whoever it is. It's like, dude, you're going to freeze to death. And then they have this nice little exchange when Han is trying to fix the Falcon and he's getting ready to head off again. And and um, Luke is like, oh, you're going. Okay. And they, he's like, take care of yourself, kid, and all of that. It's nice. Mm-hmm. So it's a nice little like yeah. elder brother, fatherly figure kind of energy happening. Um, and they do the the thing that they said, and it's how I know that I definitely watched this as a tiny child because when um, Han tells Luke, be careful, and he goes, you too. And I always thought that was like the coolest thing you could say when I was about four. I was like, if someone said something to me and I could say you too back to them, I just thought I was shit. Oh. Even better if it comes with the Han Lando salute, like the two fingers to the, like the, mm-hmm. for listeners, I'm, putting two fingers on my forehead and flicking them forward in a heroic manner. It is very heroic for people who it cannot awesome. see it. It does look awesome. I've <laughs> been practicing it for 30 years. <laughs> I also thoroughly enjoy the romance of this movie. and Let's talk about the romance for a little bit. Let's talk about the romance for a little bit. <laughs> let's do that. There is now... I don't, I don't know about you, but there is something about seeing Han and Leah and their flirtation in this movie that is a formative experience for young women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I am so relieved and glad re-watching it as an adult through a feminist lens and learning all the things that I have learned over the course of my mm-hmm. um, female-identifying adult life. It's fine. I don't think it's problematic. It doesn't, I mean, maybe people out there will disagree I don't know, but to me, it's 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 it feels fine. Like you know, there's always that worry where you look back on stuff that you loved and with new knowledge yeah. and a different lens, and you go, oh, that's not that's not standing up so great. I feel like yeah. the flirtation in the from romance. the early eighties. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. Oh, god, maybe we can uh, pick some episodes to dive into that <laughs> at some point. Yeah, but yeah, it stands up, and I'm pleased about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's still, it's still yeah. really, it's still hot as fuck, frankly. It is. It is. It, I know what you mean. There, there are things you go back and you watch and you think, is that why? <laughs> that why I went out with that person for so long? <laughs> is this your fault, George Lucas? <laughs> yeah. Do I need to bill you for my therapy? <laughs> yeah. Um, I know, and I, I can't actually even put my finger on what whose fault it is. It's not. It's nobody's fault. It's just probably not George Lucas's fault anyway. Like I don't think. Yeah person's fault yeah George George Lucas kind of seems okay he wrote this he wrote this strong independent assertive clever lady yeah clever woman that we love so much and she has that the character has just aged impeccably and as it's as the character has aged and has been presented to an entire entirely new generation of of people through the mm-hmm. most recent iterations of the franchise she's even stronger and more regal and fantastic she just gets that. She gets that mm-hmm. added layer of awesomeness because she becomes this elder stateswoman, almost of, and strategist and head yeah. of a military operation. It's just great. Yeah, and one thing I noticed in this film that a lot of other heroines that I adore don't have in common with her is at no point do they ascribe masculine qualities to her to make her seem strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, still is compassionate. She can be soft. She can be understanding 
and she and caring you know she like she like is coming to see if Luke's okay and being sweet to him like she is not and I don't try to yeah they don't say this without being problematic no go on but they don't try and make her have traditional masculine even just physically she's always wearing ladies clothes her hair is always done her lip gloss is toned down in this but she still looks beautiful and that's not that's not her job but she is put together and she looks womanly mm-hmm. and in comparison to for instance Eleanor Ripley or Terminator 2 Sarah Connor who's who are dressed very masculinely mm-hmm. I quite like well I think what I quite like is that we have both sets yeah. of idols it's like the dressing femininely doesn't mean you can't do your job properly it doesn't mean you're not strong it doesn't mean you're not a badass and you can be all of those things and still fancy Han Solo even though yes. he's he annoys you a bit yeah with Leia it feels like they don't lean or they don't lean on a particular set of binary tropes if that makes sense like they kind of she can be the beautiful princess and also mm-hmm. the fighter and the warrior and the leader of a rebel alliance uh-huh. you know, she can be all of these things yeah. and that's okay and she, she can wear lip gloss while she does it and then you, you said something about her being soft and vulnerable I guess as well like that scene in I don't know where they are actually I don't know if they've left the base on Hoth yet where Han comes across her and she's trying to turn a lever or I don't know what she's doing she's up to something mechanical and she can't quite do it and she hurts her hand and he, and he you know in this you know the scene you know the scene. Oh, and I know the scene. You know the scene. I know you know the scene. We all know the scene. <laughs> and there's something really great about that. Because I am it... aware <laughs> of that scene. <laughs> I have revisited that scene <laughs> in my mind many a time. <laughs> <laughs> it's just great because it gives that softness, that vulnerability. It checks a box without making her weak or to like bring up something we talked about last time mm-hmm. making her it doesn't make her low status in any way it's just sexy and i think that this this movie does that quite well throughout it um the other scene i was thinking of which i think where i think she's able to display her innate softness is when they're flying the falcon out of the worm mouth or they do something <laughs> no, no no when they're escaping from the star destroyer and they can't get away and Han has the idea to like latch onto the bottom and then like mm. float out with all the rubbish into mm-hmm. space and she just gives him like this as uh, she's like oh you do have your moments and she gives him this like, cute little kiss in the cheek yeah and then she's like oh, many but you do have them but it's just it's very sweet and it's very them and you can just see his little face that he's all pleased about it yeah and it's just when they're not around everybody and they're just they're they're a team and he has just you know saved them it feels very established that's the other thing I like about this relationship that's different from other less well um, presented romances and particularly for movies of that time which is that they feel like because we're coming into it some time has clearly passed since a new hope to empire we're coming into it they've they've established a rapport they've obviously been together doing you know the extension of the fight against the empire for however long it's been since we last saw them so we don't know necessarily what's happened in between but we can fill in the gaps by the way that it's written 
so it, you know we're coming into Han getting ready to leave everyone's a little tense about that you know the lingering glances between them at the start um he's yeah. getting a little bit he's actually playing you know more of the role of the woman in inverted commas uh, for want of a, a less blunt expression so, and, what and, would have been written at that time is what the woman and the man would have said it's like they've swapped them yeah. and they've also swapped the the um like their professional placement is also reversed for the time as well because she is in charge mm-hmm. when he's doing rebellion stuff she is his boss yeah and he doesn't and ever I'll- seem to challenge that it's more about he just seems to come across as like I just want to know how you feel about me like he's not <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then also that's an interesting shift from the first one when like when they're trying to escape the Death Star and she says I can't remember what the line is she's like just do what I tell you and he says the only person I take orders from is me mm-hmm. and then I can't remember which says she's mean to him but in this one it's like he just accepts that she more often than not knows what they should be doing apart yeah. from when they're escaping the worm and he calls her a committee yeah. which I had never noticed until this rewatch which is like I'm not a committee yeah <laughs> I'm sure boys have called me a committee before <laughs> yeah it's great it's just it uh, yeah uh, I, I have no issue with Han and Leah influencing sort of formative ideas about romance and flirtation, except for the fact it's maybe set me up for an un, like an unrealistic expectation about yeah. <laughs> what needs to it's be a met. High bar. It's a real high bar. Yeah, not just... one date has given me a hand massage ever. Oh, you were trying to fix some heavy machinery. I know every time. Maybe I'm that's the problem. Like, maybe you're not hanging around machinery. trying to fix heavy machinery <laughs> enough. <laughs> that's my problem. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but I think also that scene near the start of the film when Han's leaving and he's trying to get Leia to admit that she doesn't want him to go. Yeah. Um, and there's that whole, she's like, well, no, of course I don't want you to go. Like, you're one of our best fighters. We need you. And he's like, we need, what about I need? Mm-hmm. But it's kind of the beginning. I don't know if it's the start of his bad mood that leads him to telling the man who tells him it's cold outside that he'll see him in hell. <laughs> yeah, it might be. <laughs> Tantrum. Yeah, because he's being real bratty. I think you're right, yeah. because he... He goes straight from that moment to like banging about the Falcon, trying to get ready to leave, and C3PO comes up to him to tell him that Luke is not back yet. And he's he's yeah. been all like, What? And yeah, just being a real brat. Yeah. <laughs> and oh he turned his communicator off as well. That's I think that's why C3PO comes over to him because it's like he's he's being real like he's leaving everyone on red. He's being real strop. He's like, turn off my communicator, nobody can reach me. Cause I'm in a mood. And uh <laughs> C-3PO has to come and get him and tell him, dude, your pal is missing. We can't get you on your communicator. What's up? Um, Yes. So he does take that mood to that poor, um, unsuspecting member of the the rebellion. (laughs) He's also looking very stylish. Speaking of things that are native to Hoth, I was wondering if there was a Patagonia on Hoth because he has this great, (laughs) um, really nice winter jacket. It's really, really high quality stuff. Yeah, it's got that good fur hood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that stuff looks spenny. Yeah. So, yeah, he has a, yeah, he has a whole moment. And then also C3, C-3PO tells people the odds three times in this film. He does. And it's like, it's never a time when somebody wants to hear the news. I feel, I feel it like when, you know, when you see particularly like news alerts about like COVID stats and stuff. Mm-hmm. 
at times they always turn up like a like a guardian alert or a bbc alert but like this is the number of people who have it today and you're just not always in the place to receive that information and i feel like c3po is not only the person who reads that notification but then like clicks on the article and shares it with everybody <laughs> and makes tries to make them talk about it when you're Wait. just trying to do your work <laughs> You're just backing up my point that he's the worst. It's hard to see it a bit more in this one. And he's being such a little bitch over the course <laughs> of like this moment between Han, like, you, you know, them realizing that Luke has, has not come back and Han sort of getting that information and deciding to do something about it. And then, and then from there to the point at which they have to close the, the, the doors after Han has gone out to keep the base safe. And he's still doing it. He's still telling people the odds. He's telling Leia, who looks, who's visibly distressed. Yeah. And and he's calling R2-D2 a stupid little short circuit, which I'm pretty sure in, in droid yeah. culture is a slur. Um, sure is. You know, it's just, he's a little bitch. I have no time for C-3PO. Sorry, that's a, that's a side point. Is that something that, you know, should we unpack that a little bit right now? Oh, I don't know. Maybe we'll get, do you know what? I think well, when we really want, when we need to unpack it is when we arrive in Jedi. Um, okay. Because there's some stuff going on with C-3PO. Okay. In that movie. We can unpack it then. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. By then we'll have all the receipts. Yeah, we'll have all the receipts by then. It will be in our binders. <laughs> I mean, he, I suppose he gets a little, gets a tiny mark on his record, like a good, like a tick on his record for like clearly acknowledging that Leia is upset because he kind of like backtracks a little and says well he's been known to be wrong so you know and mm-hmm. and you know referring to yeah from time to time <laughs> but you know it's not good enough mate it's not good enough no oh um i want to know and i'm sure somebody out there has this answer but i really want to know what chewy says after leah kisses luke okay um, let's talk about that let's scene. talk about that <laughs> there's more to say about that scene other than what Chewie says, but just I think we'll need to. I think I think for that scene, we'll need to take every every person almost like by themselves. Yeah, everyone in it has has something going on in that scene. Yeah. So, all right, let's discuss Chewie. So, what happens for people who haven't watched it recently? So, Luke has been brought back. He has had his altercation. We've jumped way ahead from the beginning of the movie, but you know, the short version is that Luke was uh, attacked by a wampa. Is that what they're called? I think they're the big white sort of abominable snowman type monster he gets yeah. hit in the face by the wampa which i think was a writing device to cover up the fact that between a new hope and empire mark hamill who plays luke skywalker had an accident on a motorcycle or was in a car accident i'm not sure can't remember exactly which it was but in he hurt his face like is is like if you look at mark hamill between a new hope and empire he's he's got some scarring on his face that he looks a bit different oh and my, my understanding is not the that, money maker i know not the money makers come on you know uh i was about to say something about you need that money maker because your acting's not that good but that feels really harsh i really like mark hamill and I actually think he's a great actor <laughs> <laughs> i think he's great um but yeah anyway uh yeah so i think that was a i think they wrote that into the script to explain away why luke's face looks a bit different so yeah he's got himself tangled up with a wampa he sees ghost of obi-wan kenobi in the snow there's a whole thing han rescues him brings him back to base he gets all healed up in his tube with his nappy on this is going to sound really weird for people who've not seen the movie so i recommend you go see it 
and then yeah, that does happen that does happen and then he's awake and fine and feeling better and han and leah and shooty come and see him in the medical bay to be like hey buddy you're better we're so glad you're not dead and then han and leah bring their fucking drama in with them yes they do they do and yeah what did, han says something to leah that winds her up in the car what is it remember it's something along the lines of uh it ends with she confessed her true feelings for me and he puts his arm around her (laughs) yeah which is a lie yes he is lying this is low grade problematic not it's not like i don't even want to use the word problematic because it is so low grade but it is a form of neggingy kind of not negging it's gaslighting and it's a bit like it's not great behavior he's winding her up yeah he's winding her up Yeah. yeah no I, yeah, I don't know if it sits in the realm of like... Yeah, it's not in the pantheon of really problematic fuckboy behaviour, but it is an immature mm-hmm. noise up, so... Yeah. Yeah. I would be I would be interested to hear our listeners' singular, plural <laughs> opinions on this as well. If, if you disagree... Because I think, you know, we're not objective on this relationship. We want it to be good because it's been formative for both of us. <laughs> and I think we both have tried to look at it from a critical lens. So there is a small chance that we're seeing what we want to see here. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, re- I'm reading back into the, in episode four and a half, where essentially like they just wind each other up and that's the thing. Yeah. And like Luke's aware of it and, and Chewie's aware of it. And it's just, that's their mm-hmm. dynamic. And everybody's fine with it. But yeah. I think also from the fact that like Leah never seems hurt. She just seems either she either is into it or she's just annoyed by it. Yeah. She never seems like she's uncomfortable. No, and she gives as good as she gets because what she basically Very. does is she uses Luke. Mm-hmm. Because okay, if you wanted to be really pedantic, you could argue that there was a version of the script that had more romance between Luke and Leia that got ditched, quite rightly so, because mm-hmm. that's, you know, blech. Um, the right version of the story emerged in the final draft. Mm-hmm. And so what we've seen on screen is that there is no romantic chemistry between Luke and Leia. So she does use Luke. There's like a tactic she deploys. In my opinion, it's a tactic. My opinion of the matter is it's presented to me as I've watched so far in the movie and interpreted as that. Luke and Leah fancy, not Luke and Leah, uh, Leah and Han fancy the pants off each other. They're winding each other up. Neither of them will admit how they feel. They're being super stubborn about it. They're playing a little game with their pal who nearly died. Well, he sits there going, okay. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) when Leah kisses Luke to wind up Han, it's it's a very very, um, deliberate tactic. Mm -hmm. So in many ways, she gives as good as she can. Oh, 100%. And I feel at this point, in A New Hope, there is a hint that there could be something between Leia and Luke. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And that basically there could be a vying, you know, it could be like a love triangle. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, and this could be because I'm reading into what I want to and because of things that come to light later on that would make it gross. Um, But it kind of, I feel like Luke knows exactly what their dynamic is, knows that that's what's going to happen down the road like this is this is what's going to be he's shipping them I think yeah yeah but he also knows that Han can be really annoying Mm -hmm. and likes to wind her up so his reaction I think is a continuation of the wind up of you thought you had her and then she kissed me and I'm just going to be real smug about it because you were being a bit of a dick there yeah I think so I think 
from uh, knowing what I do about all the sort of like nerdy behind the scenes stuff, knowing that there was a draft, but there was more of a, a love triangle that they subsequently dropped. I'm sure like there will be little hangovers in the script, like little bit, little bits lingering. But even even without that, I think yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think Luke's reaction is very much like <laughs> you know, uh, you you had that coming, mate. Because you know, there's absolutely no way from the way that this is established when we're coming into Empire, we uh, like I said before, we've clearly left them developing their their relationships for a while. There's absolutely no way Luke hasn't been watching this play out for however long they've been together. Like yeah. He'll know that they are really into each other, and he's probably like just a little bit sick of the dance. Um, yeah, he's so, probably just like, "Will you just <laughs> do it already?" Yeah, will you just do it already? Um, we all know how this is going to end. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, which makes that scene even funnier, and which is why I think it's Han's reactions funny and great because he doesn't he kind of like doesn't take anything out on Luke he's like well fine then and kind of just storms out of the room um which brings me full circle back to what the heck does Chewie say I want to know what do you think what do you think oh he definitely laughs he definitely laughs um I (laughs) answers on a postcard Anybody who has any idea. Yeah, because I, I would like to know what Chewie says. Because he says something significant, yeah. I feel. Because then off off they go. We're gonna probably be jumping around a little bit because I think we're we're in sort of in terms of talking about theme, we're yes. we're on the romance. So we're probably gonna have for the time being anyway, skip off skip over Luke and his little journey to Dagobah. Yeah, because yeah, cause actually really after this scene and after their their goodbyes they don't really come that's the last time the four of them are together till yeah the jedi yes because they have the battle of hoth which is all very cool but not all that interesting for podcast purposes other than to say that i thought attacks were very cool and i still do and um it's a nice marrying of like you can never seeing you see, like you see well this is going into look a little bit but like you see how his use of the force has come on because he can uh when he's ha- hanging upside down in the wampa's cave he uses the force to get his lightsaber and then when he's fighting the attacks he does like a bit of a bit of x-wing work and a bit of like sabering yes that actually reminds me um i remember thinking huh because you know the scroll at the top of the movie uh yeah. that gives you a recap of what's going on and get, get gets you all up to date it mentions luke being the leader of the rebel alliance and uh i remember thinking i don't think he is isn't it leah pretty sure it's leah it still seems like she's in charge yeah but the the scroll says it's him and you know not to say that luke is not like you say is clearly very accomplished and has come on leaps and bounds and his ability to be a mem a key player in in the rebel mm-hmm. um endeavor but i would I, I think it's leah that's in charge so but you know that was probably just typed I mean, out by an intern yeah even if and i'm sure that somebody in the internet will know exactly what the hierarchy is to the yeah to the button but i also think it's probably fair to say that even if luke was technically leah's boss leah is the boss of luke yes but that said i still even i still think that actually the movie as it bears out in the movie like she's definitely higher up the pecking order than luke i think so like so maybe he's the because they call so they call him commander skywalker Mm -hmm. and han is captain solo but then was han captain solo anyway because he has his own ship he may have been yeah 
And and regardless, like Leia is still viewed as royalty, regardless of her military rank. Yeah. So she she would still technically outrank everyone, I think. Um, yeah. You know what? It probably just wasn't as exciting to say that Leia was in charge in that and that when the movie was released at the time the movie was released, it just it probably looks cooler in in that day and age to say it was a boy rather than a girl. I think that's all it comes down to, really. Yeah, and and just yeah, and just to show how like much he's come on because he was just a yeah, just a kid from the stick. Yeah, and he's our day. hero that we're following. Yeah. Uh. Anyway, what were we saying? <laughs> this one's a little bit more jumpy and rowdy than the last one. Um. Were we done with romance? I, th- I mean, no, we should be a bit. No, there's. Come, go away and come back. Should we go away and come back? Should we follow some form of order? Okay, so well, let's, we can do maybe first half, second half. So in our first act, we our heroes do split, like in terms of mm-hmm. themes of like the family you choose. The family breaks up. Yeah, so if we have like Act One being Hoth. Yeah, and in the course of uh, the Empire finding them and attacking them on Hoth. Everything kind of breaks down and Han takes Leia, the droids, and Chewie and gets them off Hoth while Luke engages in the battle to take down the Atats. Mm-hmm. After which he goes off on his journey to Dagobah to find Yoda because the ghost yeah. of Obi-Wan Kenobi told him to when he was all like all silly with the Wampa attack out in the cold. Useless. But, Useless use- information at that point. Just like not useful at all. Yeah, so our family split, which actually now thinking, reflecting back, it's makes the whole exchange. The la- I mean, the last exchange actually that Han and Luke have in the movie is that moment mm-hmm. in the docking bay or whatever you want to call it, where he's basically telling him to look after yeah. himself. They they have a goodbye. Yeah, they have a kind of they have a quite sweet yeah. official goodbye, and I think it is the last time they they see each other in the movie. Yeah, and they don't. Yeah, and they don't really know, because as far as Luke's concerned at that point, he's going to be in Dagobah for a long time. Yeah. Does he really understand what he's going to do? I suppose he does, doesn't he? I guess, well, I suppose, I mean, yeah, I suppose it's not like Obi-Wan's told him how long the training is. No. I mean, the conversation in the snowy wasteland of Hoth while he was out of his mind was brief. Yeah, it's it's very, <laughs> like, you've been punched in the face by the school bully and your mum calls you to, like, annoyedly tell you to take the chicken out of the freezer. Yes, yes, Jackie, that's exactly what it was like. <laughs> so, yeah, he's kind of, um, although I was going to say it's kind of a big leap, but then in fairness to him, like, you know, he listened to Obi-Wan all the way through the first movie and that's got him to where he is, so I suppose it's fine. But he knows he's going to Dagobah to seek out Yoda, somebody called Yoda, who is apparently a Jedi Knight from whom he will learn things. And Han, Leia, Chewie, C-3PO and R2... Their mission initially is just to get off Hoth, right? Do they get intercepted by yeah, the Empire? So, I can't remember. Um, right, so Han is leaving. He has to go and give money to Jabba the Hutt because he's got a bounty yes. out on him and has done by for ages at this point. Yes. Um, but then when the, when the Empire attacks, Leia stays behind. There's somebody kind of at like a radar screen who's reading like the enemy incoming and is basically just like trying to make sure there, there's some sort of control room this is where the enemy are these are where people are able to get away mm-hmm. and leia is staying with that guy yeah she's she, so she's, she's kind of like ready to go down with the, ship, down with the ship yeah and takes her away and as he's dragging her away she's just like you go too she like makes sure that that she's like you need to please leave soon yeah get yourself to safety because everybody's 
um, evacuating the base. Yes. And further supporting the theory that she's in charge. She is in charge. Luke is fucking yeah. off to do a master's. He... <laughs> you can't do that if you're in charge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, Leia is Leia's like ready to go down with her ship. Um, uh, and she's, you know, her, you know, she is she is the one who's making sure everyone is safe before she gets herself to safety. Mm-hmm. And so Han basically stops getting away to make sure she's away because he wants to make sure she's safe. And she and I think I think I feel like there's other commanders being like, what's going on with Leia? People like everybody wants her to get away. So he like drags her out of that comms room and is taking her to the transport. Mm-hmm. But when they're on their way, uh, like a wall collapses or something and they can't get past it. So he says to his communicator, just go, I'll get her out of here with me on the Falcon. Yes. So that's why they that's why they end up with Chewie and the droids. Who they're gonna pat. Well no, that's how they end up with Chewie and C3PO, sorry, because R2's Oh yeah, R2's um, with Luke. Yeah. Yeah, like he and C3PO are on a break. Um, yeah, good. And, good. Yeah. He's gone to find himself on Dagobah. Yeah. And <laughs> so C3P they're about to patch C3PO, but he basically just like, no, what about me? And he runs onto the Falcon. Mm-hmm. And then they, they blast out of there, but they get chased by a bunch of TIE fighters. That's right, yes. So that's how they end up into the asteroid field because mm-hmm. who would be crazy enough to fly into an asteroid field and who would be crazy enough who to Who would indeed. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, it's like, I only watched this last week and I'm very grateful for that recap. <laughs> I don't know what's happening to my brain. That's Panny D brain right there for you. The old Panny D. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is all good stuff. Uh, just to interject from a movie lover point of view, it's all great. It's all well-structured. The least well-structured stuff, to, to be honest, is always where the Jedi training mystical stuff comes in because the stuff with Luke is a little less uh, fleshed out. It's a little loosey-goosey, like, yeah, I'm going to go Dagobah. I know you guys just got attacked and you, my friends have had to just flee, but I'm going to Dagobah. That stuff is a little... I mean, it's fine. We we need it. Yeah. We need it to get where we're going. But um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot more with with the other part of the storyline. It's like this happened, and then that meant that that happened, and then that meant that this had to happen. Whereas it's like, look, it's just like I went to Dagobah and I did some stuff. Yeah. Then I had to go. So Dagobah, as a set piece, yeah. is great. Actually. Yeah. Our introduction to Yoda is great. I believe you have quite fun feelings. Yes. <laughs> Please. I just I like it. I liked it. I can and I can imagine. I don't think it had nothing to do when I was a tiny, tiny little girl. That Yoda, it turns up, he's this naughty little muppet who sounds like Grover from Sesame Street because mm-hmm. it is. And he's just he's just winding him up. He's just being a little annoying, <laughs> funny man. Yeah, it's great. It's a great like cinematic double bluff as well. It's. I mean, I think it was one of those things where it's like, I don't know because I can't remember a, a time or a, a world where I haven't seen these movies a thousand times, but I'm guessing that most members of the audience were like, this must be Yoda. But at the same yeah. time, it's presented in such a fun, double bluffy kind of way that makes it all the more enjoyable when it shifts. Um, yeah. I do not truck with anyone who says that Yoda is not cool, that they think it's lame. I think it's all great. I think he's brilliant. Yeah. I think he's a brilliant sci-fi character. 
Yes, he <laughs> he's great. And it's one thing that, um, so I, re- I rewatched The Phantom Menace recently. Oh. I'd made a mistake in my knitting. I had to go back several rows and fix it. And I needed to have something, I wanted to have something on in the background, but not something that I was like dying to watch. Right, yeah. I was like, might fill in some gaps. But even just remember, it reminded me of Yoda being those movies and how they, in other of the prequels, he's shown to be such a badass with like the lightsaber, like those flippy battles where he's jumping around. Yeah, CGI Yoda. And everyone, yeah. And I mean, but you know, I don't have any strong feelings about prequels Yoda, to be honest. So don't at me. I mean, or do, because we're a new podcast and we need the interaction. Yeah. But... um. <laughs> but please be nice <laughs> but I'm not going to disagree with you that strongly whatever your views mm-hmm. on Yoda specifically in those movies <laughs> <laughs> so many caveats <laughs> and, and maybe I will <laughs> actually don't at me actually yeah just leave me alone <laughs> if you don't have anything nice to say leave me alone um, so it was from that so like when you obviously the people who watched these movies in the chronological order that they came out this is your first meeting with Yoda but say you're somebody who maybe saw the prequels first maybe you're a Gen Zer <laughs> yeah who saw the prequels and that made you go back and watch watch them like one to nine in order and I wonder what that experience is like to be like that's you you look that's Yoda yeah <laughs> he's, he's an amazing Jedi master you I'm so excited to see Yoda I didn't know where he went and then you get him on and he's just being a little tr- like he's trolling him mm-hmm. is, he, is he doing it to test his patience because he has the whole thing like I can't train him he's not patient enough or is he doing it as like is it just easier if anybody comes on to pretend he's I have a theory. like a little bit of a senile I have a theory okay I think he's testing Luke's um assumptions about who is powerful and who is not. I think he's testing him to see how quick he is to judge and dismiss someone based on their size or what they look like or how they behave, um, mm-hmm. which might be a little bit giving it too much credit. But I, that's that's the energy I get from it. I think there's tro- I think there's trolling him, and I think I think he is testing his patience. I think he is testing him to see how quickly he gets irritated. But also, I think there's something about. Yo- the choice to make Yoda this little grovery muppet and then have him be the ultimate like Jedi Knight badass who is to train Luke yeah, is kind of an exercise in like that- saying that the force is not specific to whoever fits the mold of the traditional hero and I think that's what makes these movies great ultimately and also the the, the underlying message of the force and who can wield it and, and you know purity mm-hmm. of purpose and all of that garbage <laughs> yes I think yeah, because and he makes that point, doesn't he? When um, when he's making like he makes Luke, he he trolls Luke again, even after he becomes Jedi, even after he's being Jedi Master Yoda, because he basically puts Luke through like a physical boot camp hit workout, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then when Luke can't do like a basic force thing, he's basically like, it's not this crude matter, and like pokes his muscles exactly. Because like this doesn't even matter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> why did you just make me like? jog around and stand on one hand <laughs> well because apparently it matters a little bit as we will but, see later but, in the movie <laughs> it, can't it can't hurt but yeah because his whole deal yoda's whole deal which is another theme of the movie which i really enjoy and my, my favorite one of my favorite lines ever written in the entire franchise is do or do not there is no try um 
it encompasses everything that it's that it's about um and it's a fantastic little uh you know motivational tile for your inspirational instagram feed yeah it's actually I, I, this is gonna sound super corny but it isn't it's literally a line i think of when i want to kick my own arse into gear to get something done do or do not there is a oh track. i love that <laughs> But there has to be a COVID caveat to it of like, do or do not, there is no try. But if you don't succeed, it's okay if you just did your best. Yes, that's also okay too, yeah. Uh, We've got a Panny D going on. We've got a Panny D and uh, we're all a little tired and it's fine. (laughs) So, yes, I think Yoda in this moment in Dagobah kind of is marking another big theme of the movie and the franchise. Um, and it's all great. And and to be fair to Yoda, Luke is a little annoying over this course. He is, and he isn't, he's not cruel to him. He's like quite happy to, you know, he's, when Yoda is being annoying on purpose, Luke isn't cruel to him. He's trying to explain to him, look, we're looking for somebody. Can you just not do that, please? Yeah. But he is, <laughs> he is dismissive of him. Yeah. And I think also like in terms of like his he's testing his patience and that like, Yoda definitely has come to the situation thinking this is the son of Anakin Skywalker. You know, I didn't actually, you know, Yoda didn't want to train Anakin. Yeah. Uh, Qui-Gon Jinn turned up with this wee boy and Yoda was like, no, he's too old. Um, and his future is uncertain. So like, I can't see, I can see, we obviously can tell he's powerful, but we cannot see what he is going to do or how he's going to turn out and... Yoda's doubts ended up being quite well-founded and so you can sort of see why he'd really want to be very sure about Luke before he even started yeah right that he's like testing his character testing his character I mean to be fair the hit stuff is pretty it does look pretty intense like he's being he's being like the worst kind of personal trainer um so I also feel for Luke a little bit as well you know (laughs) I'd be pretty whiny after that session too (laughs) Uh, and and the other thing it come you know the the close of the Dagobah stuff is well well but you know before the close of the Dagobah stuff we get the really weird scene where Luke gets sent goes into the woods and has a I don't know hallucinogenic trip where he sees Darth Vader and yes it's it's just weird so um, yeah let's talk about that for a sec because that's a scene where there's like a little cave and Yoda like what tells Luke to go in. And Luke reaches for his lightsaber and Yoda says, um, but you don't need that. Where, yeah. Or something. Where you're going, you and don't Luke's need like, roads. Um, no, yeah, you don't need weapons. <laughs> you don't need <laughs> And then Luke's like, well, what's in there? And Yoda says, only what you take with you. Yes. And then he goes in, he sees Darth Vader, they have a fight, Luke beheads him, and then the helmet pops and like there's like a little explosion. And then you see in the severed helmet it's Luke's face yes so is that a hint to what we find out later Mm. about Luke's parentage or is it a warning that like the dark side is you know any anybody is capable of turning to the dark side do you want my honest opinion yes I think (laughs) it's something that should have ended up on the cutting room floor (laughs) okay (laughs) I think it's a dreadful bit of the movie <laughs> and uh and it kills things stone stone dead like we're moving on at a click we've got a nice pace going on kills things stone dead and uh and, and it, it's it's confusing um if you think about it because i and, don't yeah and also like who was there was it did luke's mind make that up yeah or did 
to send it there because then it's because uh, when he's like what's in there is just what you take with you yeah so like what would have happened if Luke hadn't taken his lightsaber in yeah it's <laughs> yeah it's very hard to glean what the message is here it's unclear if Yoda or- is orchestrating it is using some kind of force spirit- spirituality to teach some form of lesson or whether that's just a really freaky bit of bush where things happen <laughs> like I don't know like <laughs> <laughs> there's a line that if you take it out of context as a soundbite will be fun uh like it's just it's unclear it muddies things for me i think it should have been cut i want to move on <laughs> okay so i'm sorry <laughs> please please be sorry no <laughs> whoever whoever wrote it needs to be sorry so yeah i don't know it's uh it's just I, yeah i don't love it and i don't think we need it no i agree and then uh and then i think we get to the sort of the close of the Dagobah stuff is Luke. How does Luke know? Is how now you again? Sorry, my Panny D brain needs you and your excellent recap skills to remind me how Luke goes from not knowing that Han and Leia are in trouble because he gets he hears them, doesn't he? It's, it's, it's force powers. He's is it when he's standing upside down moving rocks or something? I think it is when he's standing upside down moving rocks because he drops them all. Yeah, mm-hmm. he drops them. And I'm sure that there are conversations with Yoda where Yoda is like, yep, yep, they're having a bad time, yep. but leave it. We need to focus on your studies. Yeah, you've got your dissertation to do. <laughs> yes. And it's like, he's basically just like, they're a lost cause, that if you leave now, they will they will have died for nothing or they'll have suffered for nothing. Yes. I think it's they'll have suffered for nothing. He can't tell if they're going to die at that yeah. point. He's just like, mm, I don't know, but it's not good. And then looks like, well, I have to go. And he's like, well, if you go, then yeah, they'll have suffered for nothing. And then Obi-Wan turns up to like Luke. gang up on him in a very, don't go see your dad. He's a fucking dick. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want me to tell you what I did to your dad? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this... that in Jedi, Obi-Wan's okay. little like sidestep of what he did. <laughs> we know what you did. <laughs> we know um... what you did. <laughs> and then it gets to like, I'm, I'm with Luke on this one. I think I think they're all being a bit unreasonable, Yoda and um, Obi Wan. I think it's all a bit like, hang on here. Like the conclusion of this training is is that is it? You know, how long am I here? There's been no set like term time. I don't know what my uh-huh. final exam is. My friend's in trouble. I'm gonna go, and I yeah. I'm kind of with Luke on that. Um, Absolutely. And again, I think it's the when I was thinking about like the friends of the family you choose theme. Um, you know, he's obviously you know he's lost his aunt and uncle. And um, he looked up to Ben slash Obi-Wan a lot and he died, but he's come back and he's like a very, a very parental mentor figure. And so is Yoda. It's like, this is, this is your new mentor. And they are very like, they have their agenda. And it's yeah. that, like, and they're very select, they're very selective about the information that they choose to give him, but still expect him to fall into line. And like, I'm not ascribing this to any member of my family, but like, that is a that is a thing that parents do. Yeah, like it's a thing about like do this because I know what's right for you, mm-hmm. rather than do this because of of these of these actually really cogent reasons. This is exactly what happened, and this was the consequence then. So this is why I'm concerned about you going. It was just like essentially don't go because we're telling you not to. Yeah, bad things will happen if you go. Yeah. And it's uh, it's very much, like you say, it's very much rooted in a sort of belief system that isn't necessarily yours and a set of experiences mm. that are different from yours at a different time from yours. And mm. ultimately, yes, okay, 
to Yoda and to Ben, the cause might be bigger than your individual relationships, but not to Luke. For Luke, yeah. and possibly rightly rather than wrongly, there's no point in w- winning against the Empire if he doesn't have his people with him anymore, which is yeah. kind of true of any kind of... It's Yes, okay, I see the, I see the argument to die for the cause, but I also see the argument to like, well, it's not, it's not as important to me as these people. And um, yeah. if I can help them now, then I'll go and do that. Yeah, because um, ultimately it's it's this that I'm fighting for, it's them that yeah, I'm fighting for. Exactly. And also, something I was reminded of in the prequels is like the Jedi's weren't really supposed to have friends. Like you're not supposed to have any emotional attachment to anyone because it clouds your judgment and that you're more susceptible to your emotions. So if you love people, you're afraid of losing them and fear leads to anger, etc. Do you know who else has that problem? Who? The Slayer. The Slayer has that problem too. Slayers and Jedi Knights are very, there's lots of crossover there. Yes. Um, And she's not supposed to have friends and the established status quo says that she should be alone and not have people uh, be important to her, but having people who are important to her makes her stronger and I think that's true of Luke as well. Yes, agreed. Um, Yeah, repeating sins of the father is a big theme in this franchise. Yeah. uh, Which will become more apparent as we go forward so should we get on to cloud city let's get on to cloud city so bespin is the big third act of our movie mm-hmm. and bespin is the city ruled by the also very dreamy charming oh, and yes. yeah dreamy charming handsome you would lando lando calrissian pal of luke uh luke pal of han um, which is where Han decides to go to escape the Empire and get a little helping hand. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they just basically need somewhere to hide for a bit, don't they? Mm-hmm. In fact, his ship's broken. He does, he can't get the Falcon where the base is for some reason. The ship is damaged. Yes, they can't because... get. They can't go into. They can't go to hyper. That's right. Something's something's wrong. Something. Yeah, something is wrong. Hyperdrive with the Falcon. Yeah. They can't complete their journey. So they mm-hmm. I think I think does Han realise he's sort of in the same galactic neighborhood as Bespin? I mean he doesn't know where Lando is, but I get I don't know, he just like does his find a friends or something and it's like, oh Lando's here. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how he knows. Lando's know, there, but he like, finds out he's like Lando's nearby. Lando checked in on Facebook, uh or something. And like, oh you know him, is he a good guy? And she's like, no, not really. <laughs> well I hope that doesn't go wrong for you and doesn't he make some like snarky or like not snarky but a little like comment like he's a scoundrel he's and like a fiend a, and a, yeah, uh, he's, a, he's a real scoundrel you'd like him you'd like him yeah <laughs> he's a real scruffy looking nerf herder yeah. yeah so they go to Bespin and Bespin's beautiful which I just like Lovely. to point out real nice yeah. now I don't know if this is just far too big to just drop like a clanging thing for discussion, but Bespin and the arrival of Lando Calrissian brings up for me what is another big theme that I'd like to address. It's not a theme of the movie or an intentional theme of the movie, but for me, Lando's presence now, looking at it as the person I am now, is like a big like, oh, BIPOC invisibility in sci-fi and movies. (laughs) Um, because Lando is also the only person of colour in this entire franchise to date at this point at which we're watching, I'm, I'm sure. Unless you, or any like, well, any like... Friends, certainly in the original trilogy. In the original trilogy, movie. yeah. And obviously the new one, we've got the magnificent John Boyega. 
Yes, the magnificent John Boyega. I did sort of kind of clock that um, Bespin does look slightly more diverse than other planets we've seen so far. Um, there seems to be more, it seems to be a bit less, there's less humans around. Yeah. Um, or it's less human heavy than, say, the a, rebe- a rebel base yeah. or a empire ship. Um, and there's probably not enough time to unpack it in any kind of meaningful way. But I suppose I think about it now, looking at it with, you know, new knowledge and as a person who's trying to do better where these things are concerned and how I yeah. consume my uh, movies and media. And at the time, they probably thought they were doing... Well, they were probably, well, I don't know if they were thinking about it at all. I'm not sure. But for the longest it could, time... Oh, it would was... be interesting to see the, the motives for... Were they looking to cast a black man in that role? Um, specifically, you know, was it was it needing some diversity, or was it maybe a continuing that point of people can be in positions of authority that you don't necessarily expect to, like women or Yodas mm-hmm. or or black people, women or Yodas or black people. So it's like, did they mean for that? You know, was it George Lucas saying, you know, actually we need some di- we need some more diversity in this movie? It's very white, it's very white human. I don't um, know. I or, I or 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 was it an open casting call and Billy D. Williams just nailed it? Which I can, which I to be honest, it's probably the latter. I can't imagine. Can you imagine that part being played by any? I think that's what's good about the original films, though, is like there's nobody else that you could imagine being in those roles. Yeah. Yeah. Then who is there? And I only I only bring it up as a sort of point of observation rather than a point of contention for these movies because I don't think at the time I don't think anyone was thinking with any nuance about it. I think mm-hmm. Billy D. Williams, there's probably a story online or a story to be found about how he was cast in it. Like there is with all of these really famous and iconic roles in movies. But I I, I think the reality is probably what you said. It's that's probably just that Billy D. Williams auditioned and was fantastic and nailed exactly what they were looking for he was probably twice as good as every other actor because he had to be uh, well yes exactly but I think trying to think very critically and analytically about these things what the flip side of that is that there's kind of a tokenistic aspect to it so Mm -hmm. there's one key cool cool guy role and the black actor gets it and that's great but at the same Mm -hmm. time there's like in the pantheon of movies that are made with it over that de- the next decade, it's not exactly like Star Wars kind of stands out for that reason in the sense that like it's still the, it's still the white it's still the white man's hero journey by and large. So it's it's, it's just something that I thought when when Lando arrived on my screen, it was like well, it's sort of a, it's a, it's it's worth observing now that we look at things through a more educated lens. And you know, yes. I certainly don't see myself as being equipped enough to unpack it properly but I can I I was listening to another podcast recently it was buffering the vampire slayer and they did a really brilliant episode recently it was um called invisibipoc with albadaza and Mackenzie mcdade and they were talking about bipoc invisibility and, and genre shows specifically focusing on buffy but they make wider points and it was really really interesting so I'm just going to shout out that at this point okay for people to go listen to but you know the upshot of to sort of bring it back to star wars lando was cool we love lando (laughs) i just wanted to bring it up because there's always work to be done and it's interesting Uh looking back now knowing what we know now and also knowing that this movie was made when was this movie made (laughs) like it was 1980 80 or 81 something like that so it would be interesting to look into uh, the story of his casting and yeah um if, if if the fact that it was billy d williams got the part if that influenced the like the evolution because we know that the script changed through various iterations mm-hmm. 
Um, it'd be interesting to know if they tweaked the part, if they were like, oh, we've cast a black man. Will we make him cooler? Will we make him suaver? Will we make him a bit more of a scoundrel? Like if, if he had just been like a straight up legit statesman, would they have cast a black man? Like it, it's, it's so hard to know. And I think that's why, I, again, I think it's why Star Wars stands out because it doesn't feel loaded in either direction. But that's yeah. coming at it from the lens of someone who never, up until recently, had to challenge the way that they looked at these things ever yeah. because it never, it never impacted me. So it never, yeah. it never occurred to me before now the value of 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 a young black person seeing Lando Calrissian in a part like that in a movie like franchise like that in nineteen eighty yeah. whenever it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sort of underlines a, a point and and or a point worth making about representation and the importance of that. But how representation, when done well, is never is never something that sits out with a context. Um, mm-hmm. So the context being for sci-fi for the longest time didn't improve on either side of Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back. And when you look at sci-fi, so often it's 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 a dream of a different world and a different future. So when that is helmed, the stories that we tell within that genre is helmed mostly by white people, mostly by white men, it will reproduce certain inequities and that's a failure of imagination, if that yeah. makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Um, so and that I'm not bringing up that point to say that Star Wars does this because I don't think it does. I think it's just by the presence of Lando Calrissian and what up until this point has been a white universe. If you're not white, you're either a droid or a Wookiee or a some other yeah. form of alien. Yeah. And then Lando comes along and he's very there and very like he's he's a, he's a black hand he's a black hand solo, but better because he's arguably sexier and he's got a bit more status and he's not running from the law (laughs) yeah or not the law because that's Jabba's not the law he's not got a bounty on his head is basically what I'm saying no like Lando's there making tough decisions yeah like he is in a position where he like welcomes him with open arms states a very upfront interest in Leia yes (laughs) as you would yeah fine and Leia doesn't trust him from the from the off. She's like something's something's weird here. Which, if we had more time, we could unpack as a choice. We could unpack. Thing. Mm-hmm. She doesn't like right away. She doesn't trust him, but from the word off, she was attracted to Han. I'm just gonna leave that out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, again, we do not have enough time to unpack that. We do not. <laughs> um, interested for other opinions, though. Yeah. Um. So he welcomes him with open arms, and then. Ultimately, he it, it transpires he's betrayed them. He has made a deal with Darth Vader as the face of the Empire, as far as he's concerned, to give up specifically Han so that the Empire will stay out of Cloud City. So they will stay out of his affairs, leave him as being like an unregulated gas miner. Mm-hmm. Now, as an interesting parallel for the sort of uh, like the um, the black experience. That's a perfectly mm-hmm. understandable set of circumstances. Um, Sometimes the choices that we that people have are not perfect. Yeah, it's and to be left alone by an yeah. oppressive regime. By that, the state. Yeah, he. Uh, there's there's a completely understandable and acceptable, I think, context to the the, the reasons that Lando makes the decisions he makes. Plus, he also hasn't yeah. seen the, he hasn't seen Han in ages. Han said to Leia, "They, you know." Not trustworthy. Yeah, they don't exactly have 
yeah, the relationship is complex. Um, so I, I am like, I'm completely team Lando in his set of decision making. I do think he was put in an absolutely impossible situation. Um, and then there's also the kind of the hearkening back where in that conversation with Leah, Han says something like, oh, you know, it's, you know, you know, we go back, we just go back, me and Lando. And then Chewie says something and Han's like, I'm sure he's forgotten about that. <laughs> I don't know if you saw Solo. I did. Oh, Donald yeah, Glover. Of course you did. <laughs> yeah. There's just, there are bits in it where like Lando turns to Han and there's a bit where he's like, oh, I hate you. <laughs> yeah. he's dragged him into this nonsense that he wants to have absolutely nothing to do with and at that point like Lando's always seems to be even at that point in the history he's doing better than Han he's yeah oh yeah for sure has his like best droid buddy he has mm-hmm. his cool ship and he always wins at cards and he's just he's got like a great cape collection mm-hmm. and He's having a lovely time and Han comes in and and tricks him out of his yeah. Millennium Falcon. The established so, context that we have for Han, both in these movies that we're discussing right now and then what is established established in the future content that we get, is that Han is much more like hot-headed, kind of taking a play out of the patriarchy book. Out of the, you know, he's sort of, yeah. sort of a little bit of a kind of arrogant hothead. Who thinks yeah. he's a little Han bit un- lucky? Lucky, exactly. Who gets away with things? Where I think Lando, again, which speaks to the black experience, is uh, in terms of what I've been led to understand, has had to be much more strategic. Yeah, much he's savvy. More, he's savvy, but he's had to be. He's had. He, he yeah. hasn't relied on battling in and getting away with things because he's charming and rakish. It's like. No, no, I have to think about this. I have to make yeah. considered decisions for the safety of myself and my people. And that's what he does at Bespin. And, you know, we get the impression from other bits that we've been served in the Lando story that he's had to do that his entire life. Much like any black person of has to do under the current, you know, cultural climate as it stood forever. Um, it has been standing since. Yeah. Britain's so, in a terrible place. I think it makes an interesting point. Uh, and it's not absent whether it was intentional or not but it's not absent even 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 from the writing of Empire if you wanted to really pick at it yeah uh, I'm sure I'm sure someone has written a dissertation on this and I think we should find some of them I think we should Um, and but it is actually it's it's just striking me that it's amazing how much you glean about their history from like like a very few throwaway comments like he's a scoundrel no, I don't trust him. I'm sure he's forgotten about that. But we go way back. Like, you old smoothie, what have you done to my ship? Yeah, what yeah, yeah. What Lando says to Han, like, right from the off. So you're just like, all right, so that used to be his. What happened? Like, what yeah. happened between you guys? Yeah, it's um, it's ripe for its, its own set of... Yeah, it's really good. It's, it's, yeah. it's great stuff. And it's ripe for fan fiction and future movies. <laughs> Um, but he so he ends up basically the deal is that he's going to give Darth Vader and uh, Boba Fett a Han Solo mm-hmm. and in return the Empire is going to leave him alone but Vader keeps changing the deal so yeah he, also the deal that Lando makes originally is basically just like it's Han Han's not even going to die it's yeah. like Han is just going to basically like get sent back to Jabba he was probably going to get caught anyway and they were going to get these guys anyway but at least Chewie and Leia are safe and they can stay with me right yeah. so well, originally it was they can be let go and then it changed it's like no they have to stay here yeah mm-hmm. and then it was no we're taking them too yeah 
Vader. At which point Lando is like, nah, fuck this. We're getting out of here. Yes. Which is great. And and it's it's a great little turn for the character. Okay, so yeah, Lando demonstrates who he actually is. Like because actually, you know, it's very it's consistent for me. Like the very, very short time that we've had Lando on screen, mm-hmm. we get a measure of this guy very quickly. And whether that's good writing or a combination of good writing and the brilliant Billy D. Williams, probably both, we get a measure of him very quickly. He's making difficult decisions to protect him and his people, but then he comes around pretty quickly based on... Yeah. Where he's, he has he's no... just like, it's also, it's just like he stops trusting. Yeah. Like you actually, well, no, you can't make a deal with these guys because they're going to just keep yeah. changing it. And eventually, well, if they've changed it this much, what's to say they're not just going to occupy us? Yeah, which I think he's known from the beginning. But, yeah. you know, Vader shows up and there's very little time to assess and make a decision. So he makes decisions, I think, based on what he thinks will be the best outcome for their situation and the situation yeah. on Bespin. So, you know, and it's established before we even meet Lando, he has no love for the Empire. Han says it himself. Yeah. So... It's not it's not a surprise. This turnaround is not a surprise. It's just like, okay, it's what I knew to be true already, which is that you can't trust the Empire, is bearing out now. This best, is unsalvageable. This is, yeah, like, exactly. Let's get out of here. Let's yeah. get out of here. They're, um, they're going to take this no matter what we do. Let's just fuck off. Yeah. And again, goes to rescue Leia, which once again, she does not take passively. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but, and that's, yeah. just, that's just who she is. She takes charge. She's uh, She's bold. She's passionate. She's taking no guff. And I'm here for it. So it's all kicking off on Bespin. Lando said, right, guys, do you know what? Come with me. I'm on your side. Yeah. And Luke gets, arrives. Um, I can't decide whether he's making things worse or better. He's just like, I'm here now. So Vader has, like, manipulated him through the Force because not they're torturing Han. They've been torturing Han. Mm-hmm. We've, so actually we've skipped a huge bit we've skipped a really important bit which is they they take Han they oh yes Lando, yes so Lando, Lando betrays them and then for a period of time they are taking Han away and torturing him but not asking him any questions that's right so this is Vader wanting to basically like lure Luke to him yeah which is why so they're not actually trying to get any information out of Han they're actually just trying to make him suffer so that Luke senses it yeah, he's buying time. Yeah, to get Luke to Bespin because he's he's unhealthily obsessed with Luke at this point. Yes, um, for reasons he is the guy. unknown. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Wonder why it could be. So Luke's on his way, and then they're finished torturing Han, and the deal is that he's going to be delivered to Jabba the Hutt via Boba Fett, the bounty hunter. Yeah, and they freeze Han in carbonate. Yes. So he looks like something you would buy out of Forbidden Planet. And can. And can, yes. <laughs> uh, oh, you, I'm sure you can. Uh, and if anyone from who is high up in the chain of Forbidden Planet wants to confirm that and therefore sponsor us, feel free. So, th- Which brings us back to the romance and how amazing that yes. is. Because Han and Leah have an exchange which gives us some of the best lines ever written in cinema. Yes. Which I think at this point I'll just have inserted into the podcast and please I think, I think i don't think we can do it justice no no i think i think people just have to hear it as if they don't know oh. i love you i know it's so good it's so it good is. it's perfect in fact i have no i have nothing else to say other than it's perfect 
um yeah yeah it's lovely it's lovely it's a lovely it's a very very sad scene it's heart-wrenching but it's lovely like the last kiss that they have and then the just like the eyes locking and when he says like Chewie you have to take care of her mm-hmm. and Chewie mm-hmm. you, like Chewie's just so upset and it's start it's also just like I love I, I, I would love to see just like some BTS footage of Leah and Chewie having a whiskey yeah yeah and really mourning this moment like losing Han because yeah. they both love him so much yeah, yeah that would be um, great yeah so that happens, he survives, so they're testing the freezing thing on him because this is how Vader is planning to transport Luke to the yes. Emperor. But they're not sure if whoever's working on it, I think, it might, I can't remember who's, but somebody is basically like, it's not guaranteed they'll survive because this is something that's used to transport I don't know, some kind of non-living good. Yeah. I mean, the, the way that Star Wars is just like, moisture farms, gas mines, it's like, this is how we store solids. <laughs> <laughs> i buy it all i i'm you know I, I, yeah i like I, all of the states so they so they're testing it on hansel so they they put a minute to make sure that luke will not die in mm-hmm. in transit. transit and han is alive and they come out han is still living so mm-hmm. that's good that is good um, we're all pleased about that and then that's when vader's like nope okay we're taking leanne chewy psych yeah they're coming with me they're very used, they're very valuable to the resistance. We will be keeping them. Yes. And um they're leading them away. And that's when Luke arrives. And then Leah like breaks from the she sees him and then breaks away from like this dangerous train she's in to be like, Luke, it's a trap. Yes. Like this is a trap. And ha- but and because she must hear them mention Luke at some point. Is it maybe when they bring I think there's a little up from the carbonate? And it's like, okay, that means that we can transfer the is there not a little tussle that grabs their attention something grabs their attention because luke has arrived and he's taken out stormtroopers i i presume i can't remember um there's something that draws leah's attention to where luke is and she Mm -hmm. clocks that it's him meanwhile lando is considering all this Mm -hmm. he's walking them through but you can see him plotting and yeah you have to wait till they can get in the lift yeah 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 He's, he's planning his next move, which has got nothing to do with supporting the Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the gap that we... That's the big important gap that we skipped when yeah. we started talking about Huge Lando's. Huge plot point. Huge <laughs> plot point. So that is all great stuff. Pretty much from here on out, it's 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 daddy issue time, isn't it? I mean, it's really about the daddy issues now. Yeah. Because Lando succeeds in getting Chewie and Leia and the droids as well. I believe. Yeah, I mean, I think I think at this point, um, C-3PO's in bits. C-3PO's had his own little adventure and has been ripped apart by yeah. somebody and Chewie finds him in a scrap heap. Well, C-3PO, and... it's C-3PO who discovers that they've been, that Vader and the oh, yeah. Empire it's have like, arrived. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've been shot! Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's why C-3PO is in a, in a bit of a state. Um, yeah. So he's being carried around. Yeah, so everybody gets everybody gets back on the Falcon with Lando. Lando takes them away, and then we get into Daddy Issue Central, which yeah. is all... Just actually, I know that, you know, if, if, for talking sake, we had lots of listeners, and some of them were boys... They're gonna hate me for this, but this to me is the least interesting part of this movie. It's it yeah, looks I, cool I, and everything, yeah. but like I, there's a there's a lot of it, it's important. It has a pivotal dramatic revelation. Yes. That believe it or not, listeners, 
this is going to be a shock. Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's biological father. Well, shit the bed. I'm sorry. Sorry to tell you, you haven't seen the film, but this is what happens. Yeah. So, so that is important. Like all of this needs to happen, and then there's also the kind of like little other bit where he's just like, "Well, if you come with me, we'll like we can overpower the Emperor. We can get rid of him, rule the galaxy as father and son," mm-hmm. which I think is interesting. Yeah. And Luke's just like, "No, he's very upset." Um, he's very upset. Just fair. Very upset, mm-hmm. and gets gets his hand chopped off to boot. Yep. Um, and also, I guess, like, he holds his own in a lightsaber fight against Darth Vader, which is worth it. Certainly does. Yeah, he certainly does. Um, I mean, well, until he gets his hand chopped off, yes. And gets thrown down a big shaft. Yeah. <laughs> he gets yeah. shafted by the shaft. He drops. He, well, he drops rather than submit, doesn't he? He's he like, does, you're not yeah. taking me. I'm just going to drop. Yeah. See where this goes. Well, presumably, I mean, watching it, I'm I'm guessing he thinks that that's it. Like, I I'm it's thinking he's choosing death. death. Like, he's plunging to his death, and but he just so happens to sort of like gracefully glide into a garbage chute or something. I don't. I'm not entirely sure what. <laughs> no, he falls. He like falls out this shaft. I don't know what the shaft is. All these places are just full of shafts that people can just fall down. Yeah, don't seem to have any kind of purpose. No. So he um, falls down this thing, and there's almost like a reverse pylon on the bottom. Yeah, that takes his weight like, brilliantly. Which must have been really sore. Yeah, as the whole well. thing looks really uncomfortable. Yeah, must have been terrible. Covered in bruises. One hand. One hand. Um, and um, he calls, he force calls Leah. Force calls, yeah. Yeah. And she senses it. Is this the first hint that we have that she might have the force capabilities? Yes. I think back in Dagobah, we got that boy is our last hope from Obi-Wan yeah. and Yoda says no there is another mm-hmm. but the, which plants a seed but we've not had any evidence that it could be Leia mm-hmm. I don't think no and could there also have been something like I know that there's been a lot more development of the force like it's a it's a real religion now yeah for, it's for a for people yeah um but it's also the sense you know it's like he can he, he communicates with Leia but like in a way also he has sensed he has sensed Han's pain in the film as well yeah maybe because then also it's like how does he know he can call Leia or does he just know I think he just I think he just knows I think he senses it yeah I think what we're well I think my interpretation of it is that he's this can't be the first time he's maybe sensed something between him and Leia mm-hmm. at this level yeah or just because they've obviously got a no i think yeah because he he's just in his he's in dire straits yeah so it might just be that what's your gut telling you call yeah Leah. call Leah. who like it's like yeah like any sort of um i was about to just drop a big old fat juicy spoiler uh but do, do we worry about that on this podcast i don't think we worry i about don't that. think so i think we know and i think also we side we sidestepped over the thing that makes the kiss gross yeah so yeah, it's like sibling connectivity. If it's if there is such a thing, you just kind of tune into what your siblings thinking, doing, feeling, saying. Um, I'm not saying that you know you can sense them and call them with your brain from miles away, but you know it's that kind of sibling vibe. We're going with a sibling vibe. Um, or is or they, uh, like maybe they sensed a connection in the first film, and then like at this point they've realised that it's like okay, it's not that. It's not that, yeah. It's not that kind of connection, yeah. So it's something. It's a different thing. Yes. And Leah turns the ship around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And goes back and gets Luke just in the nick of time because that good hand is not gonna last much longer. Mm. Yeah. That's and that's it. That's, that's kind the... of it. She goes back to get Luke. Uh, they, put, yeah, they put their jammies on. 
put the jammies on and we look at the window well he gets his hand fixed first yes and we get an important like shot of him with his new robotic hand which Mm -hmm. will become which is a bit of foreshadowing um uh and then yeah and they have that beautiful scene i think it's gorgeous still yeah with the rising john williams score and then looking out the ship window we will need to talk about the score at some point because it is i mean it's it's amazing it is amazing yeah star wars is is amazing it's beyond iconic um Mm -hmm. some of john williams's finest work if not his Mm -hmm. finest work uh, a a portfolio of very fine work his cv is no bad so yes uh, yeah, and that's that's sort of empire. We end on a beautiful moment of hope, but we end on a moment that is definitely to be continued. Yeah, they are um, on the back foot. Yeah, they are on the back foot. We don't have Han, and the adventure. We, we kind of end on a mid-adventure point. Um, mm-hmm. We know that there is unfinished business to deal with, uh, mm-hmm. with Vader, with Han. Yeah, there's lots to be dealt with. So it's a really nice yeah. way to end the movie, but it ends on this sort of moment of hope and a little family it, shot the mid shot of them looking out the window is like a little family shot and it's really it's lovely. lovely it's a lovely shot and what must that have been like to watch if you hadn't you know if like you didn't have return of the jedi sitting there on video to watch next like, if oh you had my to wait god years for the next film to come out that must yeah. have been very frustrating not least because from what my understanding is it was such a big deal to find out that Darth Vader was Luke's father that everybody was just losing their minds so to end on that note and have all of that like to wait for it must have been really exciting um, yeah I can see why people kept going back to see it over and over and over again yeah in the cinema um and was, were there any film I was trying to think of any films that were around before Star Wars where there was like where it was a proper franchise. No, I don't think so. I think, no, I don't think so. I think Star Wars sort of heralded in that trilogy vibe, that kind of like one, two and three thing, mm. you know, in, in that way that we understand it now. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm sure there were other movies that had, like, I mean, Westerns and stuff like that had, you know, you know that, mm. that kind of genre definitely existed in a series. Like Dirty Harry, for example, appeared across multiple movies and you know okay. you would follow the same character like cinema an was like people used to watch the telly yeah 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 it was like you'd have like flash gordon movies and stuff yeah you'd have a sort of anthology thing going on with a with a character perhaps but yeah in terms of like big epic storytelling in trilogy fashion i think star wars was a sort of key landmark at cinema for that mm. um so yeah empire strikes back that was empire final thoughts final thoughts uh, so final thoughts I don't think there's anything that I have an opinion on strongly that I have not voiced but just it's it's just a, it's a very well crafted wonderful film mm-hmm. I hope that capes come back it reminded me that's how great that can look <laughs> and it's beautiful and it, there's so many things in this film that are just perfect and I love it I've got no, I've got no notes fantastic everything that an actor likes to hear no notes <laughs> My final thoughts are roughly the same. I I hope we get a Lando Calrissian movie in the same way that we got a solo movie. Mm. Um, I'm quite keen to find me some sexy fan fiction that takes place on Hoth in between A New Hope and Empire starting, like A New Hope ending and okay. Empire starting okay. for Han and Leia. Uh, yes. Just like how that, you know, I want to I want to see some individual creators out there with their their imaginations and writers like fleshing that out for me. 
Um, so okay. if anybody can point me to some wrecks, I will take them. Uh, I've just done a little crossover <laughs> in my head, which is basically Han and Leia, but that scene from Witness where John Book is is finally fixing his car so he can leave the Amish town and like Kelly McGillis comes in and he fixes the radio and then they dance to Wonderful World by Sam Cooke. Oh. That's my that's my crossover. Do you want are you are you officially requesting that from some skilled yes. fan fiction writer? Yes, please. <laughs> that's Thank now you. out there. Yeah, it's great. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I think it's a brilliant movie. I know that we sped through it a little bit. I know there's stuff that we didn't cover, mm-hmm. but I guess we are still figuring out our format. And I think we're still giving our editor, the lovely Chris Gorman, a bit of a break. But uh, yeah, because that's like coming up it's on... Shorter, it's shorter than the last one, but not as short as it was supposed to be. Exactly. <laughs> God only knows how we'll get on with Return of the Jedi, which will be our next effort. But yeah, what we should say to close, because we didn't do it the last time, we didn't formally introduce ourselves. So maybe we should do that now. Okay. (laughs) I will go go first. first. I'm (laughs) Louise. (laughs) I'm Louise Oliver. I'm an actor and a screenwriter and a bit of a movie buff. And the co-host of I'll Have What She's Podcasting. And my name is Jackie Farmer. I am an accountant, really have absolutely no qualification to be doing this, but I'm delighted to be here chatting to my pal about movies we love on I'll Have What She's Podcasting. Excellent. Well, now you know who we are. We'll see you next time. We hope. We hope. (laughs) That was I'll Have What She's Podcasting. Thanks to Chris Gorman for the edit and the sound design. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at She's Podcasting. If you liked this, you might also enjoy our sister podcast, Persistent and Nasty, which is all about amplifying marginalised voices in film and theatre. Thanks for listening and see you next time.